signs in the Southland. Gentlemen, a very busy rivalry weekend and Thanksgiving weekend in the city of Atlanta. And first, we're going to start with a bit of trivia about what comes next after this weekend for the college football season. Yeah, um, it's a pretty simple question, Jens. Do you know, this is on brand since Georgia Tech is going bowling for the first time in quite some time, do you know the first postseason football game that Georgia Tech ever played? First postseason football game Georgia Tech ever played. Mm -hmm. Um, It wouldn't happen to be the 1928 Rose Bowl, would it? It wouldn't happen to be that, but it would happen to be the 19 New Year's Day at 1929 uh, after the 1928 season Rose Bowl in which uh, Roy Regals ran uh, very far the wrong way um, and set Tech up for their second national championship. So all that to say, um, obviously, it was very hard to get a Rose Bowl win in there if you were an ACC, SEC, Big Eight. Southwest Conference type team for a very long time. There is one piece of significance, though. There are widely considered um, four top tier bowls, the Rose Bowl, the Cotton Bowl, the Orange Bowl, and the Sugar Bowl, and OnePointSafety.com. Great little uh, great little site talking about some college football history, interest pieces, type, uh, stuff. They've defined winning the four of those as the college football grand slam. Do you know... The eight other teams besides Georgia Tech, who has won uh, at least one of all four of those bowls. Won all four of those bowls. Oh wow! Georgia Tech, Alabama. In Georgia Tech has wins in the Orange, Sugar, Cotton, and Rose, uh, as okay. well as eight other teams. Bama is one of them. They've actually done that four total times. Uh, so they have the most Grand Slams, as you will. They are the uh, Novak Djokovic teams. of college football. Yes. Um, so Alabama. And Georgia Tech, those are two of the nine. Did Georgia Michigan. get it when they won that Rose Bowl against Oklahoma? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. But Georgia got it for the second time when they did that because they had actually oh, won the 1943 Rose Bowl after their first national championship winning. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Michigan? Nope. Nope. There are only two Big Ten teams on this list. Michigan is not one of them. Ohio State. Yeah. They have to be one. Uh, yeah. Scotty? No, he already no. said two Big Ten teams. Who's the other one? There's said? only one that you've said. Oh. So yeah, okay. we got another. We got another one still in there. Penn State. Penn State. Yep. They yep. are helped out because they were an independent for a very long time. So yes, yes, could yes. Kind of come and go with some of these other bowls, i.e. the uh, orange. Stanford's never played in a Sugar Bowl, to my knowledge. So. There's a lot of options here. There's USC? A lot of options here. Yeah, I was thinking of nope, them. Not no, USC. Not, the, not the the other uh let me see how to how I can describe this while still making this interesting. Texas. That's one of them. Okay. Okay, so we're down to just three. Three more. You're gonna smack yourselves on the heads when you find out what these three are because Florida State? Like, nope. Different ACC team. Oh, uh Clemson. Not Clem. Jack, what'd you say? Miami. Dang. You got it. There's one. There's two left. Two ACC teams? 
No, two total yeah, teams two left. Total. It's very difficult to define the conferences of both of these teams given their current situations and or historical situations. Not Utah. Which means that both of them are discontinued. No. One might one you might call ACC adjacent. Oh, Notre Dame. Notre Dame. Notre Dame. And the other one is in an interesting conference pickle, uh, at least through I guess July first. Oklahoma. Boom. That's all nine. And well, do did, you know what good? We did good. Do you know what makes Georgia Tech unique among those nine? They haven't won it the most. That would be Alabama with four grand slams, but they do have another particular distinction worth noting. We have one each, or have we won multiple Orange Bowls? Uh, we've got our first Orange Bowl win came in in 1940, but you're oh, right; it does have have something to do with. Being early, perhaps. Oh, the earliest first one team to, to complete it. Oh, Georgia Tech is the first to have won. They all should put of the that in the bowls. stadium. That's a good one. And they did that while still members of the SEC. They uh, went to the Rose Bowl after the twenty-eight season. They went to the Orange Bowl after the thirty-nine season. The Sugar Bowl huh. after the forty-three season, and the Cotton Bowl after the nineteen fifty-four season. Um, of course, other Sugar Bowls and Rose Bowl or, and Orange Bowls sprinkled in there but those were the first two in it well thank you mr grant for setting the stage for the postseason now that georgia tech's football season its regular season is now officially complete with an eight point loss to the team out east jack please give me a scene setter for this one we came in bowl bowl eligible so in some ways I think in a lot of ways, the season was already a rousing success compared to where we were projected to be um, and where we came from even at the beginning of the season with losses that were very much not good, uh, some wins that were very good, some some would say extremely fortunate as well. Um, but I think the goal going into the game to, against Georgia was to not embarrass ourselves, not get absolutely get not get absolutely waxed. Only one team had been within one score of Georgia all season, and that was Auburn. Uh, who also similar to us had some terrible games and some weird good games against good teams. Uh, and I feel like that's what happened. And that's what happened. Uh, we did not embarrass ourselves. We played a complete, we played as complete, complete of a game as we have all season. Uh, there was 50, 50 plus thousand people in the stadium. Granted a lot of Georgia people as we would have expected, but like even during the day on campus, it was lively. It was rowdy. People were having a good time. Uh, and overall, in terms of the experience of playing old fashioned hate, this was, Easily my favorite of all the ones that I have been to uh, since I became a Yellow Jacket in 2017. I can't I can't say it's my favorite because I did get spoiled my my freshman year, but certainly of the ones on campus, um, I think tailgate scene was really lively. I think uh, there's pretty good energy in general. I know that this is not something that our fans probably want to hear, but I I found basically everyone I interacted with from both sides very cordial, um, which I, I think is kind of a, a nice change from how i've kind of you know uh been presented that it's a little bit tougher when you go to athens right you're kind of out of your uh out of your depth and it's a little bit like oh strange but um in terms of home crowds um you know it's good to see the stadium full i think there's a lot of good energy um we can talk to the football as well but uh you know i i think all in all i expected to be a little bit more i guess upset if we lost and i'm kind of just like at peace but part of that's also me trying to have a more healthy relationship with sports so go figure 
So 31-23 final, final result, Mr. Purdy. How did they get there? We started with a lead in this game. Uh, it's very similar to the Clemson game. We got an early first quarter turnover, turned that into a touchdown in plus territory. Uh, so we were up early. Uh, Georgia was able to battle back. They got their what, – what happened there? Hold on. Let me pull up my actual proper notes here. That would make a lot of sense. Uh, yeah, we were up 7-0 early in the first quarter, uh, and then Georgia came right back, tied it at 7 each. Uh, and then on the next drives, this is near the end of the first quarter, we got down to third and three within the 10-yard line, did not convert that third and three, and took a chip shot field goal that made it 10-7, which in hindsight, that, while it doesn't get us all the way to a win, uh, it at least has you thinking about maybe we go for it against Georgia when you get fourth and inches next to the goal line. So toss up there, but seems like Brent Key said after the game and during the game too, like that was the game plan. So uh, I know some data stuff would say otherwise. Uh, second we'll quarter, get Georgia, there. Yeah, I know we'll get there. They, there's a whole page dedicated to it. Uh, Georgia got the lead in the second quarter. They were only up 21, 13 at the end of the, at the end of the, at the end of the first half, uh, Milton or what's his uh, Kendall Milton was ex- exceptional. He had his career high rushing yards, which doing our rushing defense, I am not surprised in the slightest that he was able to accomplish that. Uh, third quarter, we kept it tight. We forced Georgia had the ball first, and we got them to three and out, which was incredible. And then we Georgia went up, got the twenty four thirteen on a field goal, and then we scored a touchdown. Or then then they scored a late touchdown in that quarter to go thirty one thirteen. Fourth quarter. We scored twice a field goal and a touchdown, uh, including a great interception by KJ Wallace in the end zone to prevent another Georgia score. So 31, 30, 31 to 23 loss. It felt close the whole time, even when it was 31, 13, like it, I mean, it was three scores at that point, but it didn't feel like we were dead. Uh, we kept making good plays when we needed to. We won the turnover battle, which is exceptional to say against the number one team of the country. Uh, and was probably the only real path we had to winning this game, if we were if we were to win the game at all. So, um, I, I I think uh, like at the end of the day, there are really no moral victories. But I'm at least trying to feel peace with the things that were good. And and, and to some points we kind of discussed before getting on air, I guess a little bit is, you know, you can you can sell momentum, you can sell progress. Um, I think. To be candid, that seems to be what a lot of the higher Brent Key, uh, you know, not supporters, that's the wrong way to put it, but the folks who were, you know, Opponents. kind of lining up with that were saying like, hey, look, like Brent Key showed some sort of progress related to this uh, whole uh, Athens situation. Um, again, moral victories, eh. but it's, it's relevant maybe, uh, to know. Maybe it's, it's something that you can sell to, to recruits yeah, or to I, people who are interested. It's relevant because this was part of Brent's pitch in his opening press conference was we're going to work 365 days a year to beat our in-state rival. Like that was a very specific item in his to-do list when he became the head coach. Yes, but he, he didn't, didn't defeat him. So. He did, they didn't win. And the press conference, all everyone in that press conference was unified in their message of we should have like we didn't do enough. We didn't execute well enough. Um he was Brent was asked the question about like when you look back on the season, are you satisfied with the progress? All he said was yes. He wasn't going to elaborate on that, which he shouldn't probably right now. If they got another game to look forward to. Um, I like kind of liked how Kirby called our offense basically a triple option uh, at the post game presser because we were kind of running a shotgun version of that, and Haynes King had two t- rushing touchdowns. They were 
very versatile. In terms of how versatile our run game looked, this was of the best games we had all year by far. Uh, Dante looked good. Jamal Haynes had good runs. Haynes King had great runs. Um, and it didn't really ever get stale. There's a couple drives where it got a little too predictable. I think we had one where we ran Dante three times in a row and they totally knew it was coming each time. Uh, but beyond that, like we looked very good against what's surely going to be one of the playoff teams and possibly the third time national champion or third consecutive national champion. So um, hopefully that part doesn't happen. Uh, and Eric Singleton came back. He was making catches after the drops he had last week. They worked overtime this past week to just get him back into his groove, which clearly showed because he made some spectacular, he made his two best catches sadly were out of bounds. But if he, if either of those catches were inbounds, those are game changing catches. Cause one of those is in the end zone at the end of the second half or at the end of the first half. And then one was an illegal touching that he had. So, like in terms of all the pieces that offensively, the pieces were working defensively. All the same issues were still there. They ran the ball all over us. Uh, they could throw on us. They did not start Brock Bowers, who seemed to be a healthy scratch. And that very well could have been a very, very big reason why the game was this close, because that man is unguardable. And we definitely do not have the guys to guard Brock Bowers the slightest. Um, but yeah, I think I'm with those it just in sheer terms of what we've seen this year coming from that bowling green game coming from that louisville game and now that we're playing this kind of football in november going to do a bowl game has been extremely hopeful that there is something real was actually done this year that can move us forward into the future um haynes king said after the press conference he loves the people here he loves what they're doing and he says the the product in the field shows the progress that they made internally that we can't see in practice and stuff like that so um I am. I, I. I will. I will say. I am very satisfied. I don't like it that we lost, but I am satisfied. It's a different look from last year when a certain head coach said, "If you can't see progress, you're not looking for it." Uh, like I think you. Is that can really see... only last year? Jeez, I think it was oh last God, year. It's like a million years. It was ago. recent. <laughs> um, but but my point is that I don't think it's a difficult to see the progress that's been made from year to year. And I, I think that's, even if they were inconsistent, I think they were inconsistent in fixable ways, like not yeah. systemic action. Uh, and they made those but, rebounds throughout the season. I mean, the, the, the Bowling Green lost, they made the change at defensive coordinator. Did they saw what needed to get fixed? Fixed, fixed it as well as they could with given the parameters at the time. Uh, different game plans for different weeks. They figured out the running game was way more productive than Haynes King throwing. Uh, minimized his interceptions down the down the stretch, which was a problem at the front half. Uh, so yeah, like that was. I think that that's a big note of change year over year is actually making the mistakes go away more frequently than not. Yeah, I mean, it's actually, I think part of it is just acknowledging that there are there are problems, right? And being yeah, yeah. able to assess your situation, assess and look at this game tape. It's being able to, being able and open to recognize those mistakes and, and take action to remediate them. And obviously, this is a work in progress. Um, it's it's a six-win team right now. It's... Uh, could be a seven-win team by the time it's all said and done in, in December. Um, but I think we, we were very frank last week when we when we talked about next season. We talked about what uh, an over-under wins total could be. 
and I mean, we, we underestimated, right? We said four and a half is where we'd set the line and we might go for five. I think it was four and a half. Um, we were, we, think we was, were somewhere in that four to five range. Yeah. With Kiefer. Yeah, but we said because... we'd go under six at, at, at whatever it was. And my memory is bad, yeah. but, but we said we'd go under six at the very least. So it, it, it's I, just all, you have to keep it all in perspective too. I don't necessarily, it's like, oh, obviously things break different ways, but as I've kind of like sat with that take, that was something that kind of bugged me. I'm like, I, you know, you don't really want to predict regression or, um, you know, or just not the same level that you see this year, but it, it's, it's going to be tough. It, it truly is. But at the same time, this team, you know, it, it wasn't always, you know, two steps forward, two more steps forward. It was a lot of two, two forward, one back, one sideways type, uh, type season. And I think, you would have sat us down, and I've I've recycled this line so many times this year. I, I said it after we were three and three. I'll say it now after we're six and six. If you would have sat us down three months ago and said, "Hey, at the end of the year, you're going to be six and six, and you'll have been respectable for the most part in both the Clemson and and the game against the boys from Athens," um, you know, get get two almost three ranked wins. I think all of us would have been like, "Bet." And I think us, you know, you know, weaseling, it, like, obviously, it, I think it hurts more to lose close. Uh, and, and it probably does, because, you know, it feels like it's within. Right. You're, you're, least feeling, you're feeling the possibility in game. Like, I had res- I couldn't really ever bring myself to resign to the fact that we might not win the game. Like, as soon as Haynes got, as soon as we came back on the 80-yard drive in the fourth quarter to at least make it an eight-point game, it's like, shoot. That's a stop at a touchdown, and we have scored under much tighter circumstances to win a football game. So it was a great. It was Georgia. They were running all over the place, so I wasn't terribly confident in that at the time. But it was like, well, shoot, they at least gave himself a chance, which is way better than we have done in the past. I think that's a good time to start talking about how those chances are built, especially when it comes to some of the decisions on the margins. Um, I put together all of the fourth downs that I could track from game on paper. Uh, on our shot sheet here. I'm not going to go through all of them, but the ones that I... The and before, of the things- before you go into the fourth downs, I do want to point out that we experienced a lot of fourth downs because, and, and kind of astonishing, it was only a one-score game in hindsight, Tech was very ineffective on third down uh, throughout last night's game. Yeah, two what of 11. Two, two for 11? 11. Yeah. yeah. Like the, the the reason that we have so many data points here is because because we had to get to that point so many times, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the game on paper box score right now, and I'm seeing on late downs, tech success rate was 36%. Um, and on passing downs, uh, they were 20%, basically two similarly sliced stats right around third downs. Fairly small sample size uh, on, on both of those, but still a pretty significant dip in form uh, compared to what their normal success rate was of fifty second or fifty two percent for the game. On money down, they could make their money. To borrow a phrase from a now former head coach, but to go into some of these notable decisions and just to give you an idea of how optimal fourth down decision making is calculated. Uh, there's a model that we use that is based on time left in the game, distance to the first down marker, distance from goal, available timeouts, score difference, uh, and then spread. The Vegas spread is used as a proxy variable in the model for team strength. In these decisions, uh, 
We didn't actually have spread data for this game from ESPN due to some data provider issues, but I used 2.5, which is the average home field advantage in a given college football game. And I actually flipped that to the opponent just because, you know, I know which team here is stronger than the other. So, well, and if you look at the actual spread, it was like 20 some points. It was 24 and a half. And those large spreads, especially with these kinds of models, they just sort of, when when the talent difference is that big, they just sort of say, nothing you do will matter, eat at Arby's. And I don't feel like that's fair. So I I at least tried to give the team strength here a fighting chance. So first decision is that fourth and one uh, at the eight-yard line. The model says go, that Tech should have gone for it in that situation. The game was tied. Tech actually kicked a field goal. Another situation later on in the game, fourth and 10 at the plus 28. Tech was down four. The bot said go. Actual result, Tech kicked another field goal. I think this one is a little bit more defensible, given that it's 10 yards instead of one, and you're at the yeah. 28. A couple of other these I have a couple comments on. I think the the it's unfortunate that uh, Aiden Burr missed a field goal from, I believe that's 49 at the end of the half. The historic data, historic rates say that college kickers have about a 50% chance to make that kick. So it's really a coin flip. So the last one that I actually want to talk about very quickly is the PAT decision on that final drive. Instead of going for two, down nine. Um, I We don't actually have stats for this one. There's no two-point model for college as there is for, for the NFL. Uh, and I wish I actually ran it for the NFL uh, so I could have this result in front of me. But I personally would have gone for two there just to make it a seven-point game instead of an eight-point game. The logic there is you always go for two early. You go for two as early as often as possible so you have more information later on in the game. You know what score you need to get to win the game. Um, And if you get it, great. If you don't, you've added information to your data set. You know how to operate in that situation later on. But but in in that case, if you're down nine and you go for two and miss it, you're still down two scores and that's where you lose me. Yeah, no, I mean, that that one is a little, that one is more of a vibes-based pick. I know we're in the data section, but that's a vibes-based pick of, you know you're playing the number one team in the country. You know that you want to win the game. You need to be aggressive when you're the team that's trailing and wanting to win the game. I think we saw that with the onside kick decision that came up right after. Obviously, you have to kick an onside there in order to try to get the ball back very quickly. But that's, I think, the generally what you want to do is put yourself, when, when you're making decisions like this, you want to put yourself in the best possible position to win the game in regulation. It's always about winning the game in regulation. It's not yeah. about going to overtime. Overtime is a 50-50 win probability. Winning the game in regulation means greater than 50% win probability at the end of the game. Right? So that's how these decisions are, are assessed. Uh, I will add there are a couple caveats with these models. These models always assess fourth down decisions versus average defenses, like historically average defenses. They are not based on the model or on the defense that you are currently facing. So Naturally, there's some room for nuance between the computer, what the computer says that we've described, and what the coach actually chooses, because one of them is sitting in the actual context of the situation, and one of them is not. 
I think given that context, most of these decisions are justifiable. You can defend almost all of them other than I think the fourth and one at the beginning of the game and possibly like I'll maybe throw a 50-50 defensibility score on the PAT at the end of the game. But all of the other ones are, are relatively defensible. That being said, again, you are playing within a score for mo- or maybe within two scores for most of the game versus the number one team in the country in a game that was decided by eight points. If you say the fourth and one at the eight is four points left on the board, and then your missed field goal, which I guess, again, give and take, because the 50-50% shot is three, you've left seven points on the table out of an eight that you needed to tie. It's a rough way to go. Like, it's very frustrating. I think we said it before. It's like, it's frustrating. It's more frustrating because they played it close. Yeah. And I think taking a look at these numbers, I think even four more points in any of these late game situations makes them sweat a lot more in how they handled the later stages of the game instead of being, we're just going to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. We're not going to take any risks. They have. If you make, if you get it within four, if you get it within a score, maybe they play a little bit more open. Maybe they play a little bit more risky. They they play without themselves or outside of themselves. They don't try to kill clock and they don't try to game manage. On top of all that, too, and, I, and Jake, you said this earlier too. The spread was twenty four and a half. By I don't have the exact uh, like a implied win probability of that spread in front of me, but I am fairly sure it's above 90% even for an away team and that means effectively Tech was supposed to roll over and die in this game the fact that they didn't yep. is great don't get me wrong but that to me that means when you have the opportunity to put away a drive or extend a drive or what have you you have to take it you have to go for the throat against a defense that you know is is feisty like this and that, as a, like a, a stats person, to see the score the score line being eight points and then see some of these chances not taken, given that con- that spread context, that just differential in team strength, is frustrating. And I think that's why, for me, it's, it's just hard for me to sometimes see this as progress or take a lot of joy in well, saying, I hey. Mean- the fact they, you even get to, the fact we're even at these decisions is progress. Like this wasn't a reality we got to have last year really at all, and in some cases earlier this season in games that, like, we, like if we played if we played Ole Miss right now, take the Ole Miss team we played that that version of them then and put them in now, that game is not over. Second half, like like that rollover defense we had at the end of that game, that probably doesn't happen. Not it's not a terribly better defense, but at least effort wise, we were way, way better uh, in that case. Um, I, I think I, I agree with you for the most part on the fact that we should have gone forward in that first, that first one, because you can't waste punches when you're going to have so few high quality chances to knock. And them I mean, out. that's the only way that you win a game like this, right? Right. Yeah. Like the game plan, yeah. you, you have two options in a game like this, either intentionally turn it into a track meet, or make it as difficult as possible for them to move the ball um, and have opportunities to move the ball. Yeah. And, and one, the track, the track meet was probably our best case scenario 
but then just Georgia's defense just is good enough that we, we did really well against them considering everyone else they played, but still, like, that's a really hard bet to get. Yeah, and I mean, like, one, like you said, the track meet is difficult just because of the de- defense you're playing, and two, it's two is less, is, is like, more possible, but you have to be intentional about the way that you call this game yeah. and extend your drives. And that's the way, that's the reason why this is frustrating to me. And I like, it's very difficult for me to take a lot of joy out of a losing result because of that, of that Delta, right? That it was so close. And these are punches that you pulled in some of these scenarios yeah. that maybe you shouldn't have. And you should have just said, we're supposed to lose anyway. Why not take this opportunity? Fourth and 10 from the, from the 23. Hey, let's put together our best play. Let's try to go over the top and let's, let's take some chances to win this game because this is, this is how, this is the only way that this is going to happen. Yeah. I'll verbalize at least what I said in the Slack when we had that kick, when we kicked at seven, seven was, I, I get the idea of you just, if you can get a guaranteed lead, you get a guaranteed lead. And agent Burr is a surefire way to get a guaranteed lead versus your offense. Granted, I know it's inches, it's inches. Um, at least I understand that rationale that you could be leading and they did turn the, and Georgia did turn the ball over. Uh, and I think they had a fumble too, that they recovered in the game. Like both teams had fumbles that they recovered um, on their own. So there, I, the wiggle room was more than we probably expected at this point in, in hindsight. Um, also, I want to note defensively, Kyle Eford, eight tackles, uh, led tech. It, Georgia had two guys that had eight tackles, but he was the man last night. Like Kyle Eford has a shot to be special for us if he sticks around. The field goal, that, that, that field goal that we missed, that was a hard field goal. That was long. Uh, Aiden hasn't really had to do many from that distance this year, so um, I'm glad we at least put him in that position at the same time. Um, I mean, he almost he almost hit it too, right? Like, yeah. Again, it's a 50-50 shot, and if he makes it, you feel a lot better at the end of the at the end of this day. Only losing by five. And you again, you like it shifts the the psychology of your opponent by changing how like what the difference is in the score and how they game plan for that second half. Yeah, like we haven't had many chances to like have this kind of like Brett still a first time head coach. He hasn't had the situation where he is the key decision maker in this too. So who knows if we get to this situation again in the bowl game? Maybe even what do you, what are they going to do there? Bowl games, you got nothing to you got, you got nothing to lose at that point. So you may as well go for in the bowl game. Which, in hindsight, also this game you could treat it that way too, because I you, you either you win and you make a bowl game, or you lose and you make a bowl game. And at best, if you win, you've toppled college football for at least a week. And if you lose, status quo doesn't change. So there wasn't much to lose there in that context. And I don't know if I don't, I don't think they're thinking about it in that context when you're on the sideline with 40 seconds to make a decision, or really like 20. Uh, so I get how that it's easier for us to say all this. To, to Brett's credit, I think even the ones that he kind of made decisions that I wouldn't have made on some of these, he, they're defensible. And he made some decisions that I probably would have made, like fourth and one at his own 34 going oh, for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I probably would have, I, I mean, I, I would have thought about going for it, but I, I think I probably would have ended up punting. And that that's is... a situation where you've, you've won on the margins. Also, right? oh, also remember yeah. in the third quarter, we went for it on fourth and seven. And for a moment had a defensive pass interference call that they turned back because the, the ball is deflected at the at a at the line of scrimmage 
uh, which I know Jake's about to go off on a mile long rant about that rule. But like I've been they, I've been looking for an opportunity to break back in here. And this is, again, the problem with us being good is y'all have opinions again. Um, <laughs> so thank you. But also your boy has some thoughts on a variety of things, but I'll keep it to the fact of the matter. One, forgot that you could review uh, pass interference penalties Two, forgot that when the ball Actually, why'd you go? No, no, no. Did they not you review? Can't review pass inter- I'm amazed that you can review pass interference penalties. It, that was can, an NFL rule for like a week. You could review. Uh, it, you could. You could. You can deny a pass interference penalty with review if you if it's clear it was tipped at the line. And which it was, which is still a silly rule because like you're still interfering. I I don't know if if every hold every pass interference every everything. Other than like the really obvious stuff, like a face mask or a horse collar kind of deal was called, then no one would play a, a down of football, and you know we would just be doing yellow laundry up and down the field all game. But at the same time, it is frustrating that games turn on stuff like that, and I think for the reasons that we've kind of spelled out throughout this, what is inevitably going to be a very long podcast episode. So you're welcome, but also I'm sorry. Um, it. it Obviously, there's so many different things that go into a game, right? Uh, Critical interception in end zone, very important. Forcing fumbles on opening plays, very important, you know, but also um, getting getting things called and and, and how that all shakes out is important as well. But and then again, you have at the same time, you know, icing the kicker to end a half that kind of worked out well, puts them in a different spot um, playing ahead. Uh, eight late rather than, uh, you know, five. And, and I think a, a more comfortable margin. Can, Anyways, kind of a, can, a random collection of thoughts. But yeah, can you, you know, tell it's me one of those things where it feels like it was more important than it was in the grand scheme, I think is the right. Point I want to can you that. tell me what you were feeling when you saw we were going for around fourth and seven collective like, oh, no, or a like, oh, hell yeah, we're going for this. I mean, we had to. <laughs> True. I, yeah. Like, at least to, to me and where I was standing, it just seemed like Yep, that's business. Got to keep playing. Um, and, and I think, again, with us being kind of ineffective on third down, it was something that, if anything, and, and this is a point we've litigated a lot so far, is Key and his staff has shown they're going to be aggressive. Uh, they may not always agree with specific models on how to be aggressive, but this is a time where it was like, hey, if you're punting on that, you're you're kind of surrendering. And yes, it did eventually get turned over anyways, blah, 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 changes the game, et cetera, et cetera. But um, all that to say, I think it's pretty characteristic from what we've seen the staff do this year. And uh, heck, you only get the ball so many times, why give it to the other team one, one play more than when you have to? That's yeah. that's kind of the attitude I, I take with it, especially, again, um, the, the point on the spread being huge, you're supposed to, you know, not win well you're you're not gonna win if you get rid of the ball so might as well yeah, yeah. take one more totally. shot i think that is basically all we have to say before we about this game before we start talking in circles a couple of other yep. notes coming out of this tech finishes the regular season in fourth in the acc they led the conference in rushing yards per game at uh 197.1 they are technically coastal division champs, even though the coastal <laughs> division no longer exists in a just world. This would mean that they're playing in Charlotte this weekend. We're coming for you, alas, Florida State. Alas, this is a very, very stupid world of conference realignment and single table ACC 
a couple of other final stats. Uh, Aiden Burr now 12th nationally in kicking. Do you remember exactly what the kicking stat is? It was Jack, like, is that just I, XPs? I think, yeah, yeah, I think it's just accuracy, uh, like kicking percentage. So it was like 87 to 90 or somewhere in there percent kicking. So let's talk bowl projections really quickly now that the regular season is over. The ACC at last count had 12 bowl eligible teams out of a possible 14 plus Notre Dame. ESPN has Tech going to either the Dukes-Mayo Bowl in Charlotte versus Kentucky or the Pinstripe Bowl in New York City versus Rutgers. The final bowl decisions here will be out after the conference championship games next weekend. Gentlemen, I think we kind of went over our preferred picks here last week, but how do you think after another game, to, to ruminate on this. How do you think this is going to work out, Mr. Grant? See, this is something where I've tried to be agnostic because of my uh, irrational dislike for one Mayo-based bowl based in Charlotte, simply because uh, of silly internet nonsense uh, the last time around uh, in terms of how it shakes out. I think having been out of the game for as long as we have and having there not be a clear pecking order anymore, I think it, it it's kind of as difficult as ever to um, prognosticate. I will say Mayo, uh, Pinstripe, I've seen out there. I've seen Gasparilla in a context too. Um, I think whatever it is, I hope it, to be honest, I hope it's not Charlotte. I I think the boys have earned an interesting trip. It's been a long time coming. Um, You know, maybe New York and Boston are a little bit chilly, but they're big cities, Um, you know, opportunity to see some different stuff up there. Uh, You know, and then you've got uh, El El Paso's kind of, I guess chilly too, but you know, if you, if you go to Tampa, you might get some nice weather or, or something like that. So I kind of think about it in that sense and, you know, maybe get uh, an interesting matchup K- Kentucky for the Mayo in terms of ESPN projections. I do think that would be interesting pinstripe uh, playing Rutgers in basically a home game. Not sure I uh, am as high on that, but also for Rutgers sake, I think that, you know, if they played well enough to make a bowl, they kind of deserve to be somewhere that they can't just as much as I love taking trains to places you know, if if you just get on NJ Transit and then from there take the subway up to Yankee Stadium, that's much less exciting than getting on a plane and, and seeing somewhere a little bit different. I think it's interesting that almost seven years later, after the 2016 Gator Bowl, Tech could find itself in another bowl game versus Kentucky, having had <laughs> three head coaches in that span with Kentucky having the same one the entire time. It's fascinating. That is, funny. that is funny. Yeah. It's fascinating. I mean, my personal preference is the, the, the Mayo Bowl because I got family up there. And if by per, it's it's supposed to be ACC versus SEC and the other six and six team that is catching my eye in the SEC is Auburn. My dad went to Auburn. They have not played each other since I got to Tech. And it'd be really fun to play them in the Mayo Bowl and get to stay at family, see family at, up in Charlotte. So for purdy reasons, that's my preference. Also, I mean, they could do... The ultimate Duke Bowl, which is the Duke Blue Devils playing the James Madison Dukes in the Dukes Mayo Bowl. It's possible. It's possible. I know James Mad- James Madison might have this loophole where they get make a bowl because there aren't enough bowl eligible teams. And so they get to override the not necessarily a bowl ban, but the waiver thing that they had to go through that's been a mess. So there's some can really we, can we talk about that waiver things. thing for a second? It's the dumbest sure. thing that this team really has is. won eleven games. And probably should be in the line for like a New I mean, Year's Six or that right. Like it's right them, it's under them or Tulane. Yeah, them or Tulane. Yeah, 
and and they're completely not allowed because of dumb NCAA regulations. It's ridiculous. Yeah, and they and the NCAA has had multiple chances to give them that waiver and has yeah. refused to multiple times. It, it is, is the most like college football insane like insane thing ever that they are just not allowed to compete in a um, in a, bowl, in a bowl, quality of bowl game that they deserve for the it's season that they've had. Yeah. They have a fantastic fan base. They're very lively. They set a record crowd at college game day when they came to Atlanta to play Georgia State. There were so many of them here. Uh they they're having James Madison be in your bowl is a great thing for your bowl game and some someone's going some bowl game is going to get lucky because the NCAA couldn't beat them enough. Yeah, I still don't want to play him in that bowl game though. Oh, oh I have kid, kid. I, let's be clear. I, I don't I like want our odds. No part of I want no part of an ACC Sun Belt game in which we uh, have to face James Madison. No, However, no, no. James Madison deserves to go to a higher bowl than what they'll end up getting through this loophole. Correct. Yes. And it's their first time going to a bowl. I mean, I assume it's their first time going to a bowl game in the modern era, right? Post division split. Yep. Yeah. Yes. It's, they're, they're it's not an experience that they get. So at, at the FCS level. So it, it'll be fun. Um, it'll be fun for them. We'll be back to talk about both basketball teams and volleyball's tournament future right after this short break. Yes, as always, this podcast is brought to you by section103.com, 20% off through November 27th. Otherwise, everything else remains pretty consistent from last week in in, uh, terms of new items, uh, baby and toddler stuff, um, as well as Felice Bobby Todd being back. But Gold Friday, 20% off everything through the 27th. Check it out, section103 on Twitter, section103.com as well. Welcome back. Let's start with talking about women's basketball, which played two games in Cancun this past week and had the coaching staff appear as the practice squad for the duration (laughs) of the week, which led to some very funny video from socials. Jack, talk to me about this first game versus Creighton. Braden, uh sadly a loss here, 57-46, after we had beat Rice from comeback in comeback fashion. Kara uh, Dunn was back from her injury. She came off the bench. She came off the bench uh, in this game and the game yesterday against New Mexico State, uh, which is good to see. So we're back fully healthy after not being health- fully healthy for a few games. Uh, they only scored two buckets in the first quarter, uh, but then Rowdy in the second got hot. They're only down three at half. Uh, but Creighton shot 10 of 20 from three in the game, and that effectively was enough to do us in. Uh, they beat us 40, 57 to 46. Uh, and when we only scored basically for three quarters, that's makes it really hard to win a basketball game. So that's what lost generally scoring game. points is good. Generally, I, I having been to the Hawks game where they scored 152 points and lost, you'd think that'd be the case. Uh, but things, sports are amazing. Uh, and then the next day, as in, uh, yes, oh, it was Friday. Yeah, Friday. Um, we won 66 to 55 against New Mexico State. Uh, that game had control of it, led pretty much the whole game. Tony Morgan had her first double-double of the season, which is good to see. Uh, Inez Noguero uh, had a good 6-0 run in the second half. That kind of got made the, the lead gap a little bit good, gap much better. Uh, Aisha Won Arana hit her first three. She's been trying to hit one so far, so it's good to see her finally hit, land one and have her big center. Both her and Ari Termis uh, are, will shoot from three, so both of our big girls will do that, which is good to see. Uh, and then we had four jackets and double figures. So a much better team performance, I'd say. Good to have the immediate feedback from the Creighton game and channel that into a win. 
Um, Cara Dunn did not start in that game either. We'll see if she makes the starting lineup over Rusne Agostinate. Uh, Rusne has been great, but Cara, it definitely is Cara Dunn's spot, and she provides a little bit more height and some better um, rebounding ability. So, kind of, we it, the team is very malleable right now in terms of what Nell Fortner needs them to do. If they need to go high offense, they can do that. If they need to go high defense, they can do that. If they want to go th- aim for three pointers, they can do that. They have. They have two. They have more tools in the bag than they have in the past, especially last year. Um, that can do multiple things, which I think is really good to see that they're much more dynamic. Um, they have a good test this Wednesday against Florida, and then they play Nebraska, who are teams we will bring up in a different sport very soon. One of the things that I talked about a lot before we went into this game was the level of competition at these preseason tournaments, usually. What would you say the level of opponent of Creighton and North, or sorry, New Mexico State? Yeah, were? Creighton's. Yeah, Creighton's generally been good. Like losing, to, like we sh- I, we should have should we have played better? Yeah, but give us ten games again against Creighton, would we lose five of those? I wouldn't be. That, yeah, we probably wouldn't be surprised in that case. I was going to um, say they they were a number six team in the tournament last year. They, yeah, they, yeah, they were. You good. know, they made yeah. it in. They made it to the Elite Eight before. I mean, a summarily getting dispatched by South Carolina in 2022. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Don't really no, blame yeah. them too much there, but yeah, yeah. A, a six seed in, in, in 2023, they're, they're, you know, pretty, pretty quality team. I'd say. Yeah. No, this team is still definitely, I would say warming up. I think losing by, if, if they played Creighton again at the end of the year, assuming they've been, they progress like they have been, I would expect that game to be closer. I also expect Creighton to be better. Um, But yeah, I, I I have I have no flashing red alert lights after these two games. To put it that way. Gotcha. Cool. So next couple of games coming up: Florida on Wednesday. That is the 29th. ACC like SEC Challenge. Yes, the ACC SEC Challenge. No, I, and that is a 5 p.m. tip. And then Saturday, December second, they will be in Nebraska. That is a 3 p.m. tip in. Lincoln. Let's talk about men's basketball very quickly because Cincinnati dispatched them very quickly. Jack, what you said about the Hawks game made me think, you know, it's insane to give up, you know, 40 points in a quarter and or or score 40 points in a quarter and lose. It's insane to it's even more insane to give up 40 points in a quarter and lose. What are we doing here? This like this early stage of the David Stoudemire era. I'm not trying to be particularly doomer, but I'm saying that this isn't looking particularly good, especially in the context of the end of the Josh Pastner era. No, uh, growing pains are massive right now, and they are more painful than they are growing. Jake, you've probably watched more basketball than me, at least in the guys' team so far. Uh, I, I think we have the same thought here. Just like it's very much a what the heck is going on here? Like this is not coming together that quickly. Yeah, I mean, there's there's growing pains, and then there's I think kind of what we're seeing here. It doesn't seem necessarily that it's growing pains, but it doesn't seem like Georgia Tech has been effective on offense, defense, or both in any uh, total game so far. If that comes, yeah, off, it hasn't uh, felt like right. they played a complete game at all. At all. And and the defense definitely is bearing out uh, what, what Coach Stoudemire has really said all along. I mean, th- th- this team's still going to have scoring droughts. I mean, they're, they're I'm not going to say necessarily young, but certainly learning how to play 
together, I think is yeah, fair. Yeah. Um, we were playing in Cincinnati's building. Cincinnati, also pretty good team. But, you know, going on a, what was it, 10-minute scoring spell? Like, that's, you that's not that. bueno. You that's not bueno. Both, both eight, teams. eight points at the half. First half, eight, being down eight, whatever. Yeah, whatever. That's basketball. But, it, it, I mean, crazy town in the second half of the Cincinnati basketball game. Crazy town. You just can't do that and win basketball games. But again, we're what? Four, three, five, more than three. What are we? Four or five games into the Damon Stoudemire area era. Like it's going to happen. And and I think the thing that we forget because tech has been mired for so long is that even tournament caliber ACC and power teams, they lose weird games in a given year. Like, yeah, not everyone like like if everyone was just gonna roll through their non-con one it's impossible because everyone you know not everyone plays everyone but people play each other right and two is because it kind of happens and and you know a head scratching loss to umass lowell up there with giant clunker against power team cincinnati in their building i think both of those are very on brand for the types of losses that georgia georgia tech basketball but also basketball teams in general non-elite basketball team this is not an elite basketball team i don't think that's me shocking the world to say that about this or or, or the women for that matter like i mean they were competitive with creighton good that's what you need to do but um yeah anyways um it's not fully out of the realm of ordinary my bigger concern is the fact that the second quarter had such a dry spell and such a relentless reign of offense from cincinnati that just seemed like it could absolutely not be stopped that's a little concerning the overall result you know that's just kind of what teams that are <laughs> you know 100 to 200 and net do right although the dongo was back from injury in that game so that was his first mm-hmm. game back uh we still do not have oh shoot i'm forgetting names already um, um lance terry lance terry we're still missing to come back from injury uh, but beyond that he's the last one left uh yeah everyone played this game because it got so bad even emmer nichols played Nathan George played, Carter Murphy, Carter Murphy played. Like these guys were not seeing minutes in those first three games, but they sure as heck were against Cincinnati. So it's just weird to see on a sheet thirty point loss to Cincinnati as a yeah. much more casual men's basketball fan. Again, I I don't want to put the, the the flag up for this is a crisis, but. It's certainly not trending in the direction that I would have hoped. No, no. We made way to put it. We made two fewer free throws than we did field goals. Oh my god! It's not what you want. I don't generally not recommended. I'm again. I'm told that the best way to win basketball games is to score points. Would recommend. That's what analytics will tell you. Men's basketball's next games Tuesday, November twenty eighth. 7 p.m. versus Mississippi State. That is part of the ACC SEC Challenge. And then Saturday, 2nd of December at 2.15 p.m. Eastern versus Duke. So packed slate this week to power high major opponents. And then also one of them is Duke. So busy, busy, busy. Gentlemen, Last major segment of the night. Let's talk about the number 12 Georgia Tech women's volleyball program. They ended their season last week with a 3-1 loss to number 7 Louisville. 
which meant that the ACC championship was split between Pitt and FSU, and FSU collected the conference's auto bid. The selection show for the NCAA tournament was on earlier while we were recording. Where are we at, Mr. Purdy? We are not where we thought we would be, but we deserve probably at this point. We are effectively the 17th seed, which means we are the first team out from hosting. We are a five seed in the top left corner of the bracket, which is Nebraska's bracket, who has lost once, which was a three sweep against Wisconsin earlier this week. We are going to play Florida in their building on Thursday, who was the four seed. No, no, sorry. No, no, we're going to play in South Alabama. If we win that, we probably play Florida in their building. I will say, Jack, I agree with all that, especially the facts, because facts are facts. But the thing that I most want to add is one word, and it is that we are the 17 seed again. That's this, true. If you'll remember, is exactly the same thing that happened to Georgia Tech last year. Yes. Uh, wound up we with Techling on the road, uh, beating Wright State uh, in the first uh, first round, and then losing to Marquette in their building in the second. Yeah, that was uh, that was sad. That was disappointing. Um, this ideally, also very similar reasons why I think we got to this point. Late season losses against Miami where we were not competitive enough. Uh, Miami was 6-0 and in sets against us this year at home and on the road. Uh not both good. Those, not not good. And I'll I'll I think I said this on the pod last week. I'll grant that the first match against Miami, we had just been on just finished a skit of playing a bunch of five setters in a row. And I'm pretty sure they were just super, super gassed and they were down Liv Bogridge. And it was just a one of the lower points of the season for sure. That second one though, no, not an excuse. You should have they should have won that. They should have won that handedly, and they absolutely crapped the bed. Um, so we're playing South Alabama, who we played earlier this year when we went down to Florida A and M for the for, for the FAMU Invitational. We swept them. They are 67th in Viper, which barely puts them in that bubble bu- end of the bubble range. Um, they won the Sun Belt, so they at least were an auto bid. Uh, but they did take us in the third set to 25-23. So while we swept them, they did make life difficult for us at one point. Uh, we kind of killed them the first two sets, so we can kill them. And I think we should because we are back to full strength with Liv Mogridge back at this point. Um, and she played well against Louisville, I'll note as well. That uh, Just one note about that Louisville game. Lost 3-1 uh, this past Wednesday. We were certainly in it in all those sets, and we coughed up a, we coughed up multiple set points at, in the second set, so we that, that match was 3-1. It could have been, it could have gone either way. It really could have. We were playing well enough to do that. Feels like uh, kind of um uh distilled version of somewhere between the pit and uga games based on i mean sure. I, yeah the first two sets i was on a train so i had to follow from live scores app so i wasn't necessarily seeing every little detail that you pick up on the the tv stream but you know the get a set early some team makes some sort of adjustments combined with cannot close a set out which feels like for the most part has been better this year, but obviously no one's perfect at that. Yeah. Um, this was the first match where it truly felt like, oh crap, we're having a pro- like we're having a problem problem here. We had multiple set. We were up 24 to 20 in the second set and lost that set, which if y'all remember, is what we did to Louisville in the first set when they came to our building. So that went both ways this year. Dare I say it's um probably, I mean, obviously seasons many things but if, if tech pulls that went out against louisville 
they're probably in the hosting position. And I feel pretty confident in saying that. Yeah. All right. I said the South Alabama, South Alabama won this, the Sun Belt. They actually didn't. So they're an at-large, which, as you said, they are they were around the verge of that. They were 20 and 8 this year. So they were. Wow. Yeah. On, yeah. They're an at-large? Yeah. I mean, they're a good bubble team. I mean, they're right there. So don't blame them for putting them in. Uh, I did. I did go back and check that. By the way, um, they lost in the semifinals, the first semifinal okay, of okay. the Sun Belt tournament. Uh, Coastal Carolina won that tournament. So. Coastal won that. Okay, and there's some good Sun Belt teams in this tournament too. So they definitely had quality opponents this year. So that is not a nothing twenty and eight that they have right there. And, uh, and I, I will say, Sun Belt sneaky, sneaky um, across. And we'll talk. I mean, they have twelve teams that made bowls this year in football. So obviously, already there. Not so much men's women's basketball hype that I'm seeing, but this is going to be a pretty similar, I would say story between not just volleyball, but keep an eye out for us to talk like this about them in, in baseball and softball season as well. Yeah, really, uh, really quality league that they put together there. So it sh- should be interesting. Weird that we're getting a, a rematch. I feel like we don't usually see first round rematches, but then again, it's also often a lot of times a, oddball non-conference game between a low major and a high major in yeah. the first round we just happened so, to happen to play that team this year um yeah. and they kept this this squadron is very regional like it's us playing south alabama and then it's florida gulf coast playing florida so they kept it very uh localized for them and, uh, and that's uh, what they do try and do with regionals whether it's yeah. baseball softball or or um the volleyball ones and again yeah, to draw which on that makes metaphor sense. like when when tech hosted it was us the citadel South Carolina and Western Kentucky. Like it, yeah. it's so, just kind yeah. of it checks out to do that. Um I'll note yeah. in both matches we play against South Alabama this year, they will be neutral site games in the state of Florida. One of them in Tallahassee and the other one in Gainesville. Getting the full other than Miami, I guess you're getting the full They went to Tampa to start the year and they've been to Miami. So Yeah, we will play really three... they just need Jacksonville and Orlando, I guess. Three, yeah, yeah. Do you really three... want to go to Jacksonville or Orlando? Like conceptually, do you ever really want to no. be in either of those places? I mean, outside of Disney, no. no Jacksonville's problem. a truly <laughs> Jacksonville's a truly cursed place. Uh let's talk a little bit about these opponents. South Alabama, like you said, we we played Earlier this year, they were 20 and 8, 67th in Viper, 66th in the Evolve rankings, similar, similar style of rankings. Um, so, like you said, right on that tournament bubble as an at large tech, 22 and 6 on the year, 26th in Viper, 20th in Evolve. Actually, I think 19th in Evolve. I have this mismarked. Let me correct that real quick. Uh, Florida Gulf Coast, 26 and 6. 77th in Viper, 88th in Evolve. They are the Atlantic Sun or A Sun tournament winner and gained their auto bid. Florida, 18 and 10. 21st in Viper, 20th in the Evolve rankings. Just a note there because Tech is 19th and Florida is 20th in Evolve. They had a better receiving rating. Florida had a better receiving rating than Tech, but a worse on serve. Rating. So tech was better when they had the ball on serve and worse when they were receiving the ball. That's how that kind of shakes out. A couple of other maybe reasons in addition to that Louisville loss, maybe deciding this hosting position. Perfect. The SEC was considered the fourth best conference by Viper rating and the ACC was the fifth best conference. So just in terms of how those strength ratings shook out, the SEC looked a little bit better. And I think that's something that we talked about before we started recording is that RPI in which tech I think was doing 
fairly well, you know, near, near the top. RPI isn't necessarily the end-all be-all for these things. There's a lot more of a holistic measurement for these, for, for the actual tournament selections outside of the auto bids. And that's kind of, I think when you're trying to compare against conferences for one of these spots where the teams are so close, I think maybe that's where that tiebreaker gets pulled. And and I do want to say RPI is probably a lot closer to those rankings decisions than Evolve or Viper or any of these third-party volleyball rankings like at the end of the day the ncaa is going into their bag and they're looking at rpi but all you know strength of schedule of course as, as well but you know they're they're going to use their metrics and and this is the same debate that you know people had for years in in men's and women's basketball of like oh this ken palm guy he's got this rating and it's a lot more accurate than rpi so they cooked up net um you know opinions aside on that you know it it, it does um it does make sense that the NCAA kind of stays in-house. Um, and, and it's a little bit different, of course, than how they formulate some of the other advanced stats that we do talk about pretty regularly on this. Uh. Yeah. Oh, there's some other notes around the ACC. Pittsburgh was a host and a national seed. They will host Coppin State in their regional. Louisville was a two seed, I think, also in the Pittsburgh region. They will host Wright State at home. Tech, obviously, a five seed. FSU ended up being a six seed. They'll play TCU. I believe they're also in the Nebraska region with Tech. Miami was unseeded, but will play number eight, Northern Iowa. And if they beat Northern Iowa, they would get Wisconsin, who is the <laughs> national. I think they're the national seed in that part of the bracket. Yep. Yes, they are. They are. They, yeah, they are. So, Going around think- the... I think one other thing I do want to say, Pitt and Louisville being in the same side of the bracket means they're really trying to push that uh, Elite Eight uh, matchup there. Yep, that's when they play. So, yeah, it's which, it's which frustrating. Draw some good see. ratings, I will say, but anyway. it will draw. I mean, it that Pittsburgh Louisville game is actually listed as the most exciting game of the year so far per the Viper ratings because it did go to five, and yeah, I yeah. think there's like eight thousand people at the one in Pittsburgh too. Like it was a big deal. Yeah. So. Yeah, so it, it will be box office. It's just, it's kind of an unfortunate reality of this bracket that it's in the Elite Eight rather than in the other, you know, the other three possible rounds Yeah, beyond that. Because yeah. uh, we got a Final Four version of that, right? A couple of years we ago. We got, last year, last we got year. It. Yeah, and we got a, um, we got Final Four version of that last year and I think the year before too, so... Yeah, they keep they keep it's finding just a little those, frustrating. They keep finding each other in the tournament. I was looking at the bracket, and there's a all Texas uh first and second rounds at, at Texas. They play Texas A and M, and the other side of that is SMU plays Texas State. Yes, let's just force the Texas Texas A and M match one 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 more time this year before they actually you know have to yeah in conference play. Uh, speaking of conference realignment, Stanford was a one national seed as well. SMU is a seeded team, so those are your ACC adjacents in play. I don't think Cal made much of a mark I think so, uh, but I'm in not sure. volleyball, they're not, they're, but I don't have it in front of me. Yeah, they're not in the tournament. Uh, so. But yeah, that, that's, our, that, this sets up for a theoretical all-ACC national championship if Stanford and Pitt were and to go ACC would play each other if that if they went if the one if that section of one seeds won. Or you oh get an all God. big, or you get an all Big Ten if Nebraska, Wisconsin make it through though too. So like this, 
You could get an actual all-conference championship or a president and future all-conference national championship. I will say the was it the twenty one national title, which was Nebraska Wisconsin, was box office. Like it was yeah. legitimately fun. Went to five, legitimately fun the entire way so through. Good. Yeah, so much better than last year's final, which Texas just rolled over whoever they. I forget who they played. They made they it was killed. Louisville. It was, yeah, that's they, right. They killed. They ran Louisville. through Louisville. Yeah, uh, and that is a much. I would say that's a different Louisville team than what they are now, too. So yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, in terms of just like high level prognostication, I do not like Louis as a two. Louisville's a two seed. I do not like them to get to the final four. I definitely like Pitt to no. do that. Um, yeah. Oregon, oh, I think, can make. But it's gonna be that elite eight game is gonna go five. Hella good. It's this gonna be is hella still good. the. This is still, I think, the most flawed Louisville team we've seen since they had to open up on the oh, road yeah. at Texas in like Absolutely. 2018 or 2017, yeah. whenever that was. Yeah, no, I, could, I could I could see Florida State being Arkansas. Arkansas is though doing as well as they've ever done in volleyball. Um, Arkansas Kentucky, is a good program. We caught Arkansas them every year for like four straight years. Yeah, uh, Kentucky can be beat for sure. Um, I mean, this is whoever. I mean, Nebraska is the team to beat for sure. Like, if we if we literally get to, only lost once. Lost once in the most recent game. Weird most sweet game. versus, yeah. Yeah, against Wisconsin. So uh, if we have to play them, I mean, this is where the, this is where our draw is the absolute worst. We're the, 17, the 17th team, which means you get the number one team in the Sweet 16 if you get there. So um, beating Florida, doable. Beating Nebraska, well, that's a different challenge. Death. That's a different challenge that we are... I, we are not there. We, we are this. This program is yeah. making leaps and bounds. They've won twenty games in half their years under Michelle Collier. This year, already I think was better than expected, just with who was coming in and how well they've adjusted without Liv Mogridge. But they have not played a team like Nebraska yet, <laughs> even though they played Pitt twice. That is not the safest playing Nebraska. I I kind of do want to see it, but also I think it's oh, going to be, be amazing awful. to see. It'd be great to see. Yeah. I mean, we beat, we have beaten them on the road before. Like there it's our, our two biggest wins in program history are at Nebraska and at Pitt. So like if there would be some history there, if we have to play them again, especially in this context, um, and it would easily be the best win in team history if they did that. Um, but yeah, beating the, beating the oh, by a, a road wide margin, wide margin, Nebraska. We got to beat Florida in their own building first, and that that's that's gonna be it's yeah, terrifying. It's, yeah, it's gonna be hard. We were, I mean, we were we only we only we won twenty two games this year, so we definitely were a good road team because we won we would win everywhere and anywhere and pushed Louisville. We pushed Louisville in their own building. Let's keep in mind that three one loss was in Louisville's building, so we definitely rattled them way more than we did last year. Um, and in years past, so while we still haven't won there, getting closer. As we all said earlier at the beginning of the pod, no moral victories, but the progress is there. Yeah, just to give you an update on the calendar, the South Alabama Georgia Tech fixture is set for Thursday, November 30th at 4.30 with the Florida Gulf Coast and Florida game immediately to follow. And then the winners, I assume, will be at 7 p.m. on Friday, December first so that is your tv schedule well i guess i don't have channels but that's at least the tv schedule to look out for on what i assume will be watch espn and espn plus last note anyone have anything for volleyball before we move on watch the games watch the games let's finish up with some news and notes the competitive drive initiative the turn two was announced this past week 
I think the, maybe the week before, but I'm not sure we covered it. So I think the gambit with this second iteration of this is that you have to, if you donated last year, you have to increase your donation for it to actually be counted, which is a honestly like a very what, clever more points way. Or whatever, or more, do- yeah. more matching and stuff like that. Yeah, it's a very clever way to get people to donate more. I have to have to give some credit to whoever thought of that. Um, but yeah, so I think the goal again is twenty or $250,000 for this set. I think it was similar last year. Uh, I think they were about a quarter to halfway to their goal the last time that I looked at the chart. I don't have it in front of me, but that's, I mean, these are very good and very successful fundraisers. It makes it very clear that People want to give Georgia Tech money and they just need more opportunities to and more themed opportunities to rather than just the letters that the Alumni Association sends out every quarter asking for money. Um, So I think this is a good format. I think the gambits to gamify it are, are, are good, too. I don't know if any if either of you have any other thoughts on this. I don't know. I mean, I, uh, I I think CDI is probably the the main uh, the main bump there that I think is a good like alignment sign as as much as that word does get tossed around, but it, it's good to see it continue. And you know that's uh, something that seemed to help a lot last year as we've discussed with you know various debt payments and, and stuff like that. So um, props to them for that. You know, keep it up. That's really what I got. That's what he got hired for. That's what his specialty was: fundraising. Yep. Um, the only other question I had on this that I just thought of, actually, do we know if CDI is folded into transforming tomorrow, the capital campaign? It seems like it's a cross payment from one to the other, but I, I, I'd have to do some digging on my end to get you a clearer answer there. Yeah. Interesting. Some other news from Swim and Dive, Max Fowler. Freshman on the dive team was named ACC Men's Diver of the Week. He finished in first place in the three-meter dive at Georgia's Fall Invite last week. But this news came out this past week after we recorded on Monday. So we didn't get that caught up. Uh, The school has put out its campus. What is it? The campus construction plan. That's a very unfortunate acronym. Comprehensive Comprehensive campus plan. plan. Comprehensive campus plan, which is effectively its facilities master plan for the next, uh, I think it's through 2030. I don't remember the exact timeline, but it's it's uh, the Something master like it's, plan. It'll be for the next. It'll be longer. For the, for the next era of Georgia Tech. Um, we'll have more to say on this in the future. I think Jake has uh, a lot of thoughts and a lot of notes that he's still working on. So, but do you have anything that you want to talk, tease us with? Give us a little bit of a peek under the curtain. I mean, between infra sports, um, some of the concepts that they really pushed in terms of a couple of the plan presentations that they published earlier, I think all that feedback is going to stay consistent. It's just a matter of uh, us getting together, really dedicating some time for it. To to peek behind the curtain a little bit, we're what, an hour and a half into this recording right now? Uh, It wouldn't do it justice to uh, staple it on the end. So working on outlining some thoughts there, um, also getting some you know, feedback and, and, and stuff from the Institute there. Uh, but uh, yes, th- there'll be some sports interest. There'll be some infra interest uh, as well as just the physical plant. And uh, yeah, I, I know that these concepts can seem kind of vague, but as they start coming together, uh, it, it, it's it's pretty neat to see 
I read the landscape master plan in like 2016 or 2017. And then to see them open up the uh, Atlantic street, like pedestrian walkway uh, from Howie down to, to tech green. It's like, Oh, like they actually did that. Like that's, that's like, Oh, also the, eco that's the design that they wanted and stuff. They, yeah. So, like I remember you telling me about the eco commons, right. When the, when the original plan got released, that they were going to do a park where the police lot was, they were going to move the, move the police department. All this stuff, it's only within the last 10 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and this is something that they started laying out in 2004. So um, if the timeline of the previous uh, MPUs are to be believed, those are, uh, you know, something that lasts 20, maybe more years. So this is this is not not necessarily, hey, we're getting we're finally getting that eco commons lake or, or whatever or parking uh, or p- park replacing Peter's parking deck. But, you know, those Soon. things like that are are that that's why you keep them in the plan, because that's how you get that kind of stuff to happen. But at the same time, um, you know, making sure that uh, Tech Square and, and even newer things that have come along like Science and Art Square uh, get incorporated as those opportunities arise. And like I said, don't want to tease too, too much of it out, but there are definitely a lot of points of interest that we'll hit on once we can uh, record a Science Extra on it. Another 90-minute podcast episode planned in the future. Mr. Purdy, your, <laughs> our final note for tonight, Construction Corner, what do you have for me? If you were on campus this past weekend or have been in the last month and have been on 4th Street specifically, you know, the Catholic centers, frats, uh, beta and all those kind of places, all the way up up to the uh, to the Colk building or the Clough Commons, uh, you'll notice there's been a lot of construction. They've been redoing the sidewalks the entire way down the street, down 4th Street from Techwood to the Colk, where they haven't already re- redone it. Uh, the sidewalks are not in great shape and they're adding some more ADA accessibility spots as well so you can get fit more wheelchair kind of things. So that's it's a good sign. Uh, some trees are going away, but it does. This does widen the sidewalks too, which is good. Um, that that's been needed. Uh, I I believe it might eliminate. I don't know if it's eliminating the street parking on Fourth entirely or not. Um, Please. It, Please, I would think it. I would think it is. <laughs> it def- street parking. It definitely allows for better, uh, better traffic with people that are on scooters or on bikes and stuff like that. So, um, or whatever personal mobility things that they're using, um, which is going to be more helpful well, especially because there is a whole multimodal non-driving thing that is in the campus plan so uh, it'll that's... it'll also um involve an actual cycle track and and streetscape for yeah. the improvements they're doing on fourth so Didn't you say you only wanted to tease this no this is an active project the shov- yes. shovels are in the oh. ground this is not this is not we drew yeah. some you know plans they're doing this pulled them together yeah. this is this is like there's a guy out there you know Dicking it up and putting in the bike path, kind of thing. Yeah, it, so. It's it's happening. Also, if you have driven on Northside Drive recently, you'll uh, if you uh, at the corner of Tenth and Northside, uh, you'll notice there's a lot of dirt and flattening going on. That is where, uh, so I believe that's where the new one of the new dorms is supposed to be going up. Um, and it so is. they are beginning the process of getting the land ready, so and getting the foundation done, all that kind of stuff. So if you're driving there and you're wondering where did all the trees go, that's why the trees are gone, because that's where we're going to be housing some new students as the uh, as campus grows. Also, I'll note, if y'all want to read the campus uh, comprehensive plan, it is available. You can read it. They also have a video. So if you want to watch it or read it and then come into the podcast whenever we release it that way, so you can be all caught up, that is an option. Are you giving our listeners homework? No. So I'm giving them an option. I think this is a a great thing to call out because this is probably one of the most inside baseball-y things that we talk about is this like design language stuff. Um, So 
I would definitely recommend doing that. Um, it's kind of up the same alley as like, you know, learning what Viper is because we talk about stuff like that all the time too. So definitely recommend checking it out. Um, and yeah, we'll be back with some some more on that soon there. Gents, I think that takes us to our outro. Do we have any other content before we log off? Uh, I have one thing. Do we know if there's a name for that 10th and Northside building yet? I have not uh, seen one. I believe it's ninth, between 8th and 9th in Northside because the Southern Regional Educational Board, I believe, still has the property on the corner. But I haven't seen a donor or or foundation name for, for Woody's 2. <laughs> Woody's 2 Electric Boogaloo. Print it and paste it. Woo-hoo. I think that's that's a perfect way to end our end our night here, Mr. Grant. George, George and Irene's newer, bigger Woodruff. Um, anyways, um, as always, uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, you can tell your friends where to find us. That's from the rumbleseat.com uh, for not just this uh, content, but also all the written word we put up there. Variety of sports, variety of topics, uh, and that'll just keep continuing as various football and other uh, points of interest continue on towards the holiday season. Uh, for feedback, you can email us at formalseat at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at FTRS blog. You can find me at jakebrant 98 Jack at Jack, Jack Nicholas. You can find uh, Section 103 at Section 103 and Section103.com. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube at From the Rumble Seat and this podcast wherever fine podcasts are distributed. As always, good night, good luck. See you next week and go Jackets. Uh-huh.